I'm just going to reread the passage for us real quick, and then we'll dive in. Again, it's Mark 4, 35 to 41. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. This is Jesus speaking. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. And the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. I want to start with a story that I remember this week of when I was younger. I think I was about six or seven years old, so please do not judge me. Um, but we had left my house, as, it was me and my siblings and my mom, and we went to my cousin's house. And um, without my mom knowing, we actually watched a scary movie. And I don't know if it's true. I think we watched The Ring. Y'all seen The Ring? Some of y'all guys? Yeah. And so we watched The Ring, and as you can imagine, I was terrified as a seven-year-old. Um, but, you know, I was trying to act tough. Um, but that whole thing stopped when we got home, and we realized that we had left the front door open. Like one of the last, probably my younger brother, like didn't close the door. And I started bawling. Like I was just crying and yelling and crying. And I was so certain that the girl from the ring was in our home. And so I, my mom literally, like in my dad, they, we had to go like closet by closet, like door, just to show me that the girl, I'm like, you guys, you can't let her take me. She comes out of a well. I'm black, I can't swim. I'm just going to drown. You know what I'm saying? And so finally, I said to my mom, can you just stay in my room until I fall asleep? And I think she said no. I can't remember, but I'm going to say she said yes to make the story end in a higher note, right? And, and, and I shared this story, and it came to my mind, ooh, hello. It came to my mind this week because in our passage for today, we find Jesus and his disciples in the midst of a dangerous storm. And like a young David, these disciples are absolutely terrified. There seems to be a great panic of fear for their lives that leaves them frantic and anxious. But then we look at Jesus, and what do we find? He's sound asleep, perfectly at peace. And so this is a question that kind of my sermon is centered around. How do we find peace in the midst of storms, in the midst of fear? Why is it that Jesus was able to sleep in the middle of everything that was going on? And so in order to discover this answer, I'm trying to do something kind of creative. We'll see how it goes in my format today. Uh, my goal is to actually kind of go into the, the shoes of the disciples. And I think in this story, these, these six verses, we almost see a microcosm of a call to discipleship 
that Jesus gives the disciples. If you've been following us in Mark, you know Mark loves discipleship. And so I think we almost see a microcosm of a call to discipleship that Jesus gives the disciples, but also that he gives us. And so I want to almost go through that call and see if we can find an answer to the question, how do we find peace in the midst of storms? And so first I thought that in order to do this, we would be better served figuring out why the disciples were afraid to begin with. You notice that in verse 40, that's what Christ asked them. He said, why are you afraid? I thought that's a good question. Let's see if we can figure out why they were afraid. Well, I thought maybe it starts in verse 35, right? When Jesus says to them, let's cross and go to the other side. And I said, maybe it starts here because as we'll see in the next chapter, you did a great job. I don't even know how you say the word, but I think that's close enough. So in the next chapter, that's the village they go to. That's what's on the other side. But this village is, is a very uh, Gentile village. There weren't a lot of Jews there. And so I, if I remember correctly, it's proposed that the, the disciples have never actually been to this village before. So for them, there's a good chance it was an unfamiliar path that Jesus was calling them to. You feel me? And so I thought to myself, you know, it seems like on the way they realized that the path was very treacherous. I read that there were a lot of steep drops and there were a lot of descending slopes that caused down uh, turns. And so the more I researched this path that the disciples took to the other side that Christ called them to, the more I realized that even if there wasn't a storm, it was a pretty perilous path. Or at the very least, it was a big unknown, a big uncertainty that Jesus was calling them to. And so I wondered if this was the cause of the disciples' fear. I mean, I mean maybe they just didn't like not knowing where they were going. Perhaps they were afraid because they realized that following Jesus means that sometimes you have to face the unknown. I like the way Eugene Peterson says it. He says, the way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It requires an active participation as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory in circumstances that become clear only in our hesitations and questions, in our pauses and reflections. So if you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, the chances are that you can relate to this call of discipleship. Chances are you can think of times when you felt like God was leading you down a road that you had not traversed before, right? Can, can you imagine those times where you felt like God was calling you to do something that you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know about, that's different, that's unfamiliar to me? Maybe it was choosing a certain job that your parents um, or your house rent didn't want you to choose, right? It wasn't super financially stable. Perhaps it was dating or not dating a certain person. Perhaps it was committing to a certain church or 
apartment, going to a certain school with a culture that was completely different than yours or what you expected. And so many of us have had moments in our lives where we're honest, we're like, yo, if Jesus did not call me to do this, if I did not feel like God wanted me to do this, I would never go down that path. I mean, I think about, I went to Wheaton College, some of y'all know, I actually see some, I think, Wheaties here. Shout out to Wheaton, okay. Um, and Wheaton is a great school, it's a Harvard of Christian schools, and, and you know, it's, it's great and all, but I didn't really want to go. I mean, just to be honest, um, I don't love coffee. I don't love camping. I don't even like the environment that much, to be honest. I, I don't love LaCroix, you know, White Claw. Uh, I didn't know what Bon Iver was until three years in. I thought it was a disease. And so for me, right, it was just a completely different experience, yet I knew that God wanted me to go. And if you're like me, like, you don't like being uncertain, being unfamiliar, being uncomfortable about the path that God is calling you to. If you're like me, you don't like when uh, you don't know the future, when you can't see how the story is going to end, when you're like walking in a tunnel and and you can't view where the light comes in. If you're like me, in those times you feel anxious and you worry and you have fear. I remember wondering, what if I can't afford to pay my rent? What if I don't get the same job opportunities that my other friends who went to like the real Harvard get? Right? What if I miss out on the goals that I had for my life? And personally, I don't like that sometimes Jesus in our call to discipleship brings us to unfamiliar situations. So I can understand if this is the source of the disciples' fear in this passage. Right? That would make sense. They're being called to a place they've never been before. But the more and more I read it, the more and more I think that there might actually be something else causing their fear that Jesus mentions in verse 40. And so I went to verse 36. I said maybe their fear actually starts here when it says that they left the crowd. You see that? Leaving the crowd, it says. I mean, for me, I can imagine, this is how I always think when I read the Bible, I try to like figure out the details and I say, well, who do you think was in that crowd that they left? Probably their family, right? And friends and connections and acquaintances. In previous chapters, it says that the crowd made up people from Jerusalem, Judea. That's their hometown. That crowd represented their childhood, right? What what, what they were comfortable with, their culture, people they grew up with. It says that Jesus' own mother and brother at a time were in that crowd. So it's not hard to imagine the disciples, too, had their most intimate community in the very crowd that Jesus was telling them to leave. You see that? And so perhaps they were afraid because they realized that following Jesus means that sometimes you have to leave others behind, even those closest to you. Perhaps they were afraid of simply being alone, 
And chances are if you're here and you're a Christian and you've felt the call to discipleship, then you can think of times when God has asked you to leave the crowd, right? To be different than the loudest voices, the most popular voices in the culture or in your circle. To be distinct from the people that you see around you. There's chances where he told you to be different than the masses. We've all had moments where it seemed like Jesus was calling us to deeper intimacy. Even if it meant being alone for a season. And if you're like me, in those times you experience anxiousness and worry and fear. Like, like I don't like being alone. I mean, I've told a story before, actually, when I first went to a new school in sixth grade, um, and, and I didn't really know anybody, I didn't really have that many friends, and there were these two guys in my class, though, who were kind of nice, they were kind of cool, I'm like, whatever, we could be friends, I guess. And so we kind of hung out and we talked, and I realized that they really, really liked ACDC. Like, they, like, had their shirts and hats and, like, underwear, like, they really liked ACDC. And so... I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to have friends. So I said, oh, my gosh, me too. Right? The problem is, is I had no idea what ACDC was. I thought it was like one of those robots from Star Wars, you know, ACDC or whatever. The Abe, Abe and all that stuff. So, so I didn't know what it was. And so I literally, I literally went home. I'm like, oh, okay, it's a band. And so for like a week, like, like a week or like maybe two weeks, I like pretended to love ACDC with these guys, right? And finally, I was like, you know what, I'm going to get found out. Like, I have to, like, commit to this. And so I went home, and we didn't have Spotify back then. Uh, so I went on LimeWire, and I got, uh, don't judge me, I got the ACDC, like, album. And I played it. I'm going to commit to this. And after, like, two songs, I was like, get behind me, saying, like, I can't. Okay. Nothing against ACDC. I just don't really like, you know, rock music, you know. And so I tried, and I tried, and I finally reached a point where I was like, honestly, I'd rather have no friends than listen to. <laughs> right? um, but amen. That's what you amen to? Come on. But in all seriousness, uh, time after time again, I remember times I changed who I was. Or I compromised morals or things I believed in because I was afraid to leave the crowd. I was afraid of being alone. Even if Christ was calling me to a place of greater intimacy. I wanted to be in the in-group. I, I didn't want to be weird. I didn't want to be different. Honestly, I'm going to step away for a second. I, I think our generation in particular, this is the thing for us, you know? Like there's something about the anxiety we feel now from being rejected or being on the outside or being like not in the in-group. Like we're, like we're terrified. And social media and like all these things will shame us if we're not like on the right side of this argument, the right side of that argument. It's crazy how scared we are now of like standing up for what we actually believe in, no matter what it is. And so maybe for you, you're like me. In the times where you feel like, like God is calling you to step away from the crowd, you, you wonder well, what will happen if I'm actually different than the people in my work? What if they know that I stay home sometimes and like read my Bible, like on a Friday night? Like what would they do? If they hear me pray in my office, like what would happen? 
If they realize, like, I, I took a day off of work to, to fast, God forbid, right? And to worship. I think we're, we have fear. If you're like me, sometimes I don't like that Jesus calls us to follow him above anyone else. To see him and prioritize seeing him more than even seeing our friends. I don't like that. So I can understand if leaving the crowd for the disciples was their cause of fear. Like, like that was too much for them. But the more I read it, once again, I think it might actually be something else. So again, I went to verse 37. I said, perhaps their fear actually starts here. When after they decide to leave the crowd and go to an unfamiliar place, what happens? A storm comes. A great windstorm arising and waves beginning to break into the boat. And I can imagine how scary that, that would be, right, to be in the sea and be at the risk of being shipwrecked. Once again, the girl from the ring, she might be down there. You don't know, right? But I can imagine it, because to me, I said, it must have been so unexpected for them. See, a little cute little thing is that if you notice earlier in the passage, it says that they went in the evening. And I found out this week that evening is actually where most, uh, when most of the fishermen would go fishing. And the reason why is because the sea was actually calm, usually in the evening. The waves and the, and, and the wind were actually calm in the evening. And so chances are they were not expecting this. For a storm of this magnitude at this time to happen was pretty unusual and unnatural. So I wonder if this is what caused their fear. I mean, you're facing this brutal storm. That's one thing. But it's another thing to face the storm that you're blindsided by. And I had to add this fact. I, imagine what it would have been like for them to be like, this happened because our master, our teacher, Jesus, called us to this place. Like at this time, they didn't actually really know who Jesus was. It's still early in the book. He did some cool miracles and stuff, but they don't really know him. And I wondered if they started to second guess, right? Wonder if they made a mistake. That the person they entrusted their life to, it seemed like he was going to be the cause of their death. And so perhaps the disciples were afraid because they realized that following Jesus meant that sometimes you are led through storms. And perhaps they were afraid, like I said, they made a mistake. And they had been deceived. I thought of a dumb analogy. Um, it actually comes from the second scariest movie I ever saw when I was a kid, Finding Nemo. And it's, you're laughing, but it's the scene, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's the scene where it's all dark and that little fish has a, that, you know what I'm saying, that light on his head? What's it called? Anglerfish. Anglerfish. And what is, uh, Dory and Marlin are like playing with the light. They're like, oh, this is so cute, right? And they get really close to it. And then what happens? It turns into this like devilish, like fake, like this horrible monster. I was literally scarred as a kid. I was like, I would rather fight the ring girl than fight this fish. 
But I, I thought of that, and I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, but it's, but it's almost like I, I wonder the disciples feared that they had been deceived by this new shiny light. I mean, there were many rabbis, many teachers that were popping up, were teaching a lot of things. And so Christ wasn't unique in this sense. Jesus was like a lot of rabbis. I wondered if they wondered if, I wondered if they wondered, if they had been lured in by a light only to be ensnared by a trap. And if this unexpected storm crippled them with fear. And once again, if you're here and you're a Christian, chances are, like the disciples, you have trusted Christ to lead your life. And you could think of times when you followed him and it felt like he led you into a storm, right? Times where you were like, yo, I obeyed you. I, I followed you. I trusted you. Why am I now in the midst of this difficult circumstance? Why, why do I now find myself dealing with a situation I didn't sign up for? For pain or sorrow I, I didn't expect. For a storm I never thought would be a part of my journey. And if you are like me in the times where Jesus is, is asking you what it feels like to, to withstand the raging waves and the roaring wind, in those times you feel worry and anxiousness and fear. I don't like being in the middle of a storm that I didn't prepare for. I don't like being in the middle of a storm, period, even though I did prepare for it. I don't even have an umbrella, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I don't like trying to be strong and courageous when it feels like the walls are caving in. I don't like not knowing what's going to happen next. Like, what if I'm not strong enough? What if I can't actually make it through? Or this question, if we're going to be really real, that sometimes we wonder, what if it's not worth it? Are we sure it's worth this journey? Getting to the other side. Is it worth withstanding any storm, any wave, any wind we will face? That's a fear that we often feel. That what if following him down this path cost me more than I wanted to give? And so I don't like that sometimes it seems like our call to discipleship that Jesus gives us is to follow him even through a storm. So I can understand once again if the winds and the waves were just too much for the disciples. And that's what they were ultimately afraid of. But again, I think it might have been something else. Maybe I said it's actually from verse 37 when the boat begins to fill with water. Like, it's possible that they were chill up until, like, they were, they were Gucci up until now, right? Like, like, sure, they had been called to go to an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people and face an unexpected storm. Uh, but it's possible that they were confident, oh, we can handle this. I mean, these were experienced fishermen, right? And if you read previous chapters, it actually suggests that they were really good at their job. So I'm sure they had faced many storms and perilous paths before. I'm sure they had protocols and plans and procedures, right? But now, 
perhaps for the first time in their entire life, their boat was actually beginning to sink. You're following me? Like, finally, their strength and their wisdom and their expertise was not enough. And I wonder if the disciples were afraid because they realized that following Jesus meant that sometimes you are brought to the end of yourself. They were given a burden. It seemed like they were not able to carry, though they were called to it. Perhaps in this moment, they realized they truly were not in control. Can you imagine expert fishermen being unable in their area of strength to live out the call and the path that Jesus had for them? I can. I thought about my own story of uh, becoming uh, in ministry, being up here now, and, and I always said, like, I never wanted to do it. And it's funny, growing up, everybody would tell me, dude, you should be in ministry. You should be, like, everybody, my friends, adults, kids, babies. Babies' first words would be like, you should be in ministry. I'm like, it's a full sentence. That was good. That was good. You know? But, but like, I, I literally heard it from everybody. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I like money, right? <laughs> like, I, 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 had, I had a plan. And then finally, God it was relenting. And so I, I began unrelenting, and I began to relent. There we go. And you know what's funny is that when I started to be in ministry, it actually switched. And I actually loved it at first. I was like, you know what? I actually understand why everyone said this now. I see how my gifts line up. I'm like, I don't mind this. I don't mind publicly speaking. I, I actually kind of like studying the Bible. It's, like, it's kind of fun to me. I don't mind hanging out and eating food with people, and the church pays for the food. Like, come on, that's a good deal, right? And at first I was like, you know what? I actually really think that with the giftings and the strengths and the wisdom from a Harvard education that God has given me, I can do this. And it's funny, the longer and longer you're in it, and the more and more I began to understand what my job description really was. And begin to realize that my call is not to entertain people with sermons, to pay for their meals. But I truly believe that the call of a minister is to get the people of God to see and experience the living God for themselves. And when I realized that, I was like, I can't do that. Like, like, my charisma won't help me. My humor won't help me. Like, like, I cannot do that. And to be honest, I often feel woefully inadequate being up here. Like, all the time. Because I realize that my strength and my wisdom is not enough to satisfy the call that I feel like God has put on my life. So I can understand what the disciples may have been in their strength and in their wisdom, doing all they could, and still the boat began to sink. And chances are that if you are a Christian and you are here, 
that you can remember times where it felt like God was calling you to do something that you could not do in your own strength, to carry a burden that was too heavy, a task that was too great, and honestly, you just felt weary after a while, right? You just felt tired, even like, like burnt out. And you just like, like, like there's a time where you just want to actually just fall on your knees and say, God, dude, if you want this to be done, like, you have to do it yourself because I can't. And many of us have had moments when we were done striving to be perfect and to answer the call of Jesus. And if you're like me, in those moments, you felt anxiety and worry and fear. I don't like when I feel like I failed. I don't like when I feel like I'm running on empty. I don't like being exposed in my weakness. I don't like asking a question like, what if I'm not actually as strong as I thought I was? What if people find out I'm not as holy or good as I make myself out to be? What if people realize that I cannot actually help them, I can barely help myself? What if I literally practically need a savior. I don't like that sometimes Jesus seems to call us in discipleship to follow him even when we cannot do it in our own strength. So I wonder if this too was the heart of the disciples' fear. But still, I think there's one thing beneath even that. There's one thing beneath it all. And the truth is, I think the fear actually begins in verse 38. When it says that they go and they see Jesus, after all this call of discipleship has gone on, they go and they see Jesus. After all the winds and the waves are storming, they go and they see Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, he's on a cushion in the stern, fast asleep. And finally, they ask a very revealing question. They wake him up and they say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I don't know about you guys, but that verse just stuck with me. Like, it, I, I felt that. You know what I'm saying? I felt that question. Do you not care that we are perishing? And it just hit me and it made sense to me that all these fears that we experience in the call of discipleship, they're real and they're tangible and we know it, but this is the one underneath it all. At the central of all our worry and our anxiety is this deep burning question in our soul. Does God, does Jesus actually care about our well-being? Does the one who is calling us to these places the one who's putting these burdens on us, the one who's, who's, who's calling us to be disciples, does he actually care about us? Does he actually know how we're doing? Is he actually concerned with our well-being? I think deep within we wonder if there's really a God who cares if we perish. And so like the disciples, we question if the God that we often devote our lives to, like, really loves us. I 
And I think it makes sense then why when we face all these things from discipleship, when we face uncertain paths and leaving crowds behind and being led through storms and being brought to the end of yourself, when we face all these things with this question in our heart, it is terrifying to be a follower of Jesus. People always say, you just have faith, right? We love that as a Christian, just have faith. And I thought about that question today. What does it mean to just have faith? Because Jesus says that in verse 40, right? Do you not have faith? And I thought, what kind of faith would let a man sleep in the midst of a storm? And I realized it's the kind of faith that leads you to believe that the God of heaven wants to calm that storm. The God of heaven does care about your well-being, that he sees you, that he hears you, that he walks with you, that that he laughs when you laugh, that he cries when you cry, that he wants you to have peace in this world and in the world to come. The disciples questioned this, and we all the time question this in our hearts. Does God really love us? Does he really want us to have peace? Can we really trust him when he brings us to places where we're alone or beyond ourselves? Does he really care for us? And Jesus is trying to say, yes, that is your father in heaven. He is the one watching over you. He is the one singing over you, who finds joy over you, who saw you as you were knit in your mother's womb, who knows how many hairs are on your head. That is your father, someone who actually loves you so that you can sleep like a scared child in the presence of a loving parent. And so in the ending, I love how it ends with them saying that after all this happens, Jesus calms the storms. The disciples are again filled with fear. But it's a different fear because they're no longer afraid of their calling or their discipleship and what it might lead to. No, in this moment, They just are afraid or they marvel at the one who has called them. And as we continue to read Mark, I think we will see how how they will continue to marvel not only at the authority of Jesus, but they will marvel at the fact that someone with such authority would die for them. I love somebody reminded me this week, they said, I think only one time in Mark it's recorded that Jesus had a sleepless night. And it was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says. And he couldn't sleep. He couldn't find rest. He couldn't find peace. And he said, it makes sense. And in that moment, he had to reject the comfort of his Father so that we forever can find comfort with him, peace, and rest in storms.
is I want to say to you guys that God calls you beloved. But not only that, because you are his beloved, his presence will go with you so you can rest and you can sleep. Let's pray together.